Okay. So. Okay. So that concludes 20 minutes of silent meditation. I would encourage you to join me in the third step prayer. Uh, we'll do it old school, a little bit old school today. One breath at a time with no breaths in between. So the way I do it is I breathe in the word God. I breathe out, I offer myself to thee. I breathe in the next line and just breathe through the prayer on your own at your own speed. And whenever you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. Allow yourself to become conscious that seeing is happening. Try to stay connected to your breath. Try to stay connected to your breath through this whole meeting. Okay, so I'm Randy and I am alcoholic. Of course, what that means for me is that I am allergic to alcohol. I can never ever drink alcohol successfully ever again, one day at a time, today, forever, because, uh, not because alcohol is good or bad, but because I am allergic to it. Physically, I'm allergic to alcohol. The reason I'm allergic to alcohol is because I have a disease. They call the disease alcoholism. I think it's an odd name for calling the disease, naming it after the treatment of the disease, but it wasn't my job at the time. So it is what it is. I have alcoholism. I have a disease that centers in my mind, that talks to me in my own voice. Today, just like every other day, it talks to me in my own voice. It wants to be the power for my life. And it manifests in the day that I'm in, this day, today, right now. It's manifesting as an unsatisfiable, fault-finding, opinionated mind that's always in a hurry, easily frustrated, and can't stand the word no. And because of this mind, because it can never be satisfied, even when it gets exactly what it wants, because I have this mind, I'm in the process of becoming emotionally disturbed. And when I get into enough emotional disturbance, if I lose enough money, or if I lose a relationship that, was, that is unlosable by my, by my decree, by my say-so, or if I lose a job, or if I lose a house, or if I lose all my money, or whatever it is, and I get into enough emotional pain, I will consider drinking alcohol again, even though I know I'm allergic to alcohol, even though I know I'm going to black out, even though I know 
I'm going to crash my car and trash all of my relationships and lose my job and lose everything important to me. Even though I know that, when I get into enough pain, I am willing to do anything that will kill that pain. Uh, uh, maybe I won't drink. Maybe I'll try to kill the pain of my self-talking mind by blowing it up, <laughs> by shooting myself in the head. Maybe. Maybe. I know a lot of people that have done that. I've known some people that have done that. I've known a lot of people that have drank again or eaten again or smoked again or drank caffeine again or shopped again or gambled again or did whatever it was that their mind told them they had to do, even though they knew that it was not in their best interest to do that. I mean, you can even make it, you can even take it to the absurd. I knew I shouldn't have said that. As it was coming out of my mouth, I knew I shouldn't have said that. But I couldn't stop myself. Because when the disease is the power for my life, I am unstoppable. It is unstoppable. It'll do whatever it wants. And then it'll feel bad about it later. But while it's doing it, it'll tell me that's is the right thing to do, even when it's not. And so I have to see that disease. That's what we do here at this meeting. We do a lot of things here, I think. I think we meditate here, which is probably the best thing you're going to do for this whole meeting was that 20-minute meditation. Uh, uh, we do some praying here, another great technique for uh, helping to relieve alcoholism. Prayer and meditation are two great practices to practice instead of self-talking. Um, so, but, but there's 12 steps, and it's 12 steps as a way of life to treat the disease today because it needs to be treated right now, right here, right now. And you're not going to hear a drunk log here today, probably. Uh, you never know. But you probably won't hear a drunk log here today. You'll probably hear a little bit about uh, how to apply the program right now. Um, I encourage you to practice it right now, to be rightly relating yourself to your higher power, to be sharing your life with your higher power right now, right, starting right now. Why wait till the meeting's over to practice something you might hear in a meeting that you could practice later? That's, that's not how this thing works. If I'm not practicing it now, there's a very, very, very good chance I will not be practicing it now or now or now. Because the only time I can practice this program is right now. The only time I could have application is right now. And we've been going through the steps. We're in step four. We're going to finish the big book part of step four today. Um, I'm still trying to decide if we're going to read the 12 and 12 part of the four, step four together. It's a, long, it's a long process, but there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to get. There's nowhere to go. We might as well do it. Um, so I have alcoholism. It needs a treatment. For me, the beginning of the treatment is admitting complete defeat. I'm a complete defeat at being okay. I'm a complete defeat at being at this meeting. While my body is here and I'm looking at the computer screen, I'm a complete defeat at hearing what's being said or staying present and not fantasizing about something else or having conversations with people that aren't in the room 
or going on vacations that aren't happening or complaining about things that aren't happening. I'm a complete defeat at being present here right now on my own power. When I can admit that, then I can be at this place, this place right here right now, honestly, and I can admit that I'm a complete defeat at being okay right here right now in this moment. And then I can start coming to believe that a power greater than myself could help me to be present right now, could help restore me to sanity. Sanity is living in reality. Sanity is living in this moment right here, right now. How insane is it for me to not be present where my body is? That's insane. How insane is it for me to log on to a meeting and sit down and continue talking to myself about my money problems or my job problems or my relationship problems or my living situation problems or any other problem that I seem to be having right now, to come to this meeting, to sit down and to continue talking to myself about what's going, what I think is going on in my life. How insane is that? And, and to pretend like you're listening or pretend like you're present. <laughs> oh, my God. It sounds, it sounds like that would be something a crazy person would do, right? A crazy person would come to this meeting, log on, sit down and look at the screen and talk to themselves about something that isn't happening right now. A crazy person would do that. Well, welcome to the club. I'm a crazy person. That's what I do. When you start talking, if you say car, I start thinking about cars. I don't do it on purpose. I'm like a dog that sees a squirrel. Squirrel? Oh, oh. And I can't be present anymore because there's a squirrel over there. That's all I can do. But there isn't, there isn't even a squirrel there in my mind. There's just the idea of a car and I'm off and I'm thinking about cars and you're talking and I'm at the meeting and I'm looking at the screen and I have no idea what you're saying. None. And how insane is that? So I get to, I get to see that. I get to make that. I get to, I, uh, I get to, uh, I get to become aware of who I am. Now there's a, there's pros and cons to that. The pro is, is that I'm more aware. The con is, is that I'm completely insane that I have an unsound mind, and I'm going to see it. And the reason I drank alcohol is because I have an unsound mind, but I never saw it before. The reason I drank alcohol after I became allergic to it, especially, is because I have an unsound mind. It's not because of alcohol, and it's not because I'm addicted to it. Because if I don't put it in my system, I have no allergic reaction to it. None. Zero. None. I just have this idea in my head, another idea in my head, that if I could drink alcohol right now, somehow that would relieve me of the pain of whatever it is that I'm in pain about. So, step two, I get to start to come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore my sanity. So I'm going to sit here in front of this screen and I'm going to ask a power greater than myself, could you be with me? Could you help me? Could you guide me and direct me? Could you help me hear what's being said? Could you help me to stay present? And I'm going to do that over and over and over and over again during this meeting. When I stop talking, 
That's what I'll be doing when you're talking. I will be asking my higher power to help me hear what you say over and over and over again, like a mantra. Because the minute I stop rightly relating myself to my higher power, alcoholism will jump in and say, oh, look, car, car, there's a car. Somebody said car. Come on, let's think about cars. The more that I rightly relate myself to my higher power, the more experience I have with how that works in my life and the more present I am at this meeting, the more I am coming to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, the better I am at making the decision in three to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God, to the care of it. I put it in God's care. I don't leave it there. God doesn't want it. Uh, like, like, a, like, a, uh, in compliance. It wants to be in a relationship with me right here, right now, all the time in a give and take relationship where I talk with it and it intuitively guides me how to handle situations that used to baffle me. And there is this dance of me and God doing God's will on this planet right here, right now. And doing what needs to be done in this moment. And when I do that, I have the best life I've ever known. My life has purpose and meaning. And the people around me seem to be happier and healthier and more prosperous. I seem to be happy, healthier, and more prosperous. Everything I ever wanted is attracted to me. And I have the best life. And that's great. That's a great story. The problem is, is that I still have resentments. And if I don't look at those resentments in step four, then as soon as I get here to step three, as soon as I get to this place where everything is okay, and I've made this decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, my phone rings, and it's somebody that owes me money, and I'm like, why the hell are they calling me? They owe me money. This better be a call to tell me they owe, they're going to pay me. And it starts the disease all over again. And it's right back on. And I'm right back in the disease until I can see it again, maybe at a meeting, maybe at a sponsor call, maybe I get into enough pain and I go, oh, that's alcoholism, I'm back in my disease again. And then, and then right then, right now, right here, right now, I stand at the turning point again, right now. And I ask God's protection and care with complete abandon of self. So, we went through the... We went through the, um, the resentment inventory. We went through the fear inventory. And we talked about the sex inventory. And really, I would call that the relationship, the intimate relationship inventory. Whether you're having sex with them or not is kind of irrelevant. But all of the, none of the questions are about what kind of sex did you have with anybody ever. None of it's about the sex. It's about people that you might have sex with and you might not. So, so, and then the, the, it's, there's nine questions, right? There's nine questions that I have to ask myself about every relationship that I've ever been in. There's a few extra ones if you have the Tebow paper, I mean the, the Big Book Awakenings papers, but here's the questions. 
I review my own conduct over the past years, my own conduct in the relationships that I'd been in. Where had I been selfish? That's question one. Where had I been dishonest? Where had I been inconsiderate? Whom did I hurt? Did I unjustifiably arouse jealousy? Did I unjustifiably arouse suspicion? Did I unjustifiably arouse bitterness? Where was I at fault? What should I have done different? What should I have done instead? The what should I have done instead answer can never be not get in this relationship because I did. So I need to see what could I have done instead to help make this a better relationship while I was in it? What could I have done instead? And some of the things that I came up with on mine was I could have listened more. I could have figured out what they wanted to do and try to do some things with them more. I could have been more compassionate. I could have been more understanding. And I have a list of these things. And then it says, in this way, I try to shape a sane and sound ideal for my future sex life, for my future life with people that I might have sex with. <laughs> There's no sex in this. <laughs> I subject each relationship to this test. Was it selfish or not? Of course. I ask God to mold my ideals and help me to live up to them. So most people, if you're like me, my sponsor told me to write out what my ideal partner would be like, what, what characteristics my ideal partner would have. And that's the way I did this. And then I started looking for my ideal partner. That's not what it says. It says me. It says, I ask God to mold my ideals, not ours, not yours, not hers, mine. And to help me to live up to my ideals. That's why it's so important to read this book in the first person, because that's so tricky. It sounds like I'm going to write out what ours is, and ours is yours. And yours is you better live up to them so that I can have a good sex life and a good relationship life. If you would just act right, I'd be fine. Fine. You would be happy. So it's my ideal. I am going to become more compassionate. I'm going to become a better listener. I'm going to ask God to help me to do these things because I'm not capable of it on my own power. I'm only capable of seeing what I can get from every relationship. I am a taker. As an alcoholic with alcoholism, I am a natural born taker. I get into a relationship for what I can get from it. I want to have friends so that I can feel good about myself. I'm not your friend so you can feel good about yourself. That's crazy. I want you to be my friend so that I can feel good about myself. I want you to like me the way I want you to like me. And I want you to want to invite me to places. And I want you to want to take, take me out to dinner. And I want you to want to come to my meeting. And I want you to want to call me on the phone. I don't want to call you. I'm not that interested in that as an alcoholic with alcoholism. If I'm honest. 
And then the people that think they're people pleasers, there, there are no people pleasers in AA. There's none, none, zero. I'm sorry. If you think you're a people pleaser, I will, I will bet, and, and I just came from a gambling meeting, but I would, <laughs> I would, if we examine your behavior as a people pleaser, I guarantee you what we find is that, okay, let me say it this way. For my own life, in my own life, whenever I am a people pleasing, what I think is people pleasing, I have found that I have been trading. I do something nice for you and then you walk all over me. That's the that's kind of the MO of a people pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. I just try to please people and they never treat me right. And that's not a people pleaser. A people pleaser is a person who pleases people for the pleasure of pleasing people. Period. No exchange. Nothing needed in return. If you buy food for your roommate, it's free food for your roommate. It's not the unwritten law that I make up that is, I bought food for my roommate. Uh, now you owe me the rest of your life because you ate my food that I told you you could have for free. But the fact that you ate it means that you need to keep the apartment clean now all the time. Your side and mine, by the way. Now, I never posted this rule, and my, my uh, roommate does not know that that rule actually exists, and they're a little confused why I'm restless, irritable, and discontent all the time when I'm at home if there's a dish that's dirty or something's out of place. Because you ate my food, you should intuitively know that if you ate my food, you owe me a house cleaning, often, maybe forever. So... I have done nice things for people, but I am, not a ni- I am not a people pleaser. I'm a traitor. And I have to see that. So, whatever my ideal turns out to be, I must be willing to grow toward it in, with this relationship, in this relationship with God, because we're in step four now. I've already made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I'm not going to start living it on my own again now. I'd have to start back at one and get back to three and then step into four. I must be willing to make amends where I've where harm has been done, but I probably shouldn't do that until I'm in step nine, by the way. Saying I'm sorry is not making amends. Alcohol, that's all we do as alcoholics. We say we're sorry. People are sick and tired of hearing me say I'm sorry. What they want to see is something different. Not the same behavior with a lot of sorry. I must be willing to make amends where harm is done, where I have done harm, provided that I don't bring still more harm in doing so. In other words, I treat sex as I would any other problem. In meditation, I ask God what I should do about each specific matter. When we get to the 11th step, sought through prayer and meditation is an ongoing right now always step. So I'm always in this meditation of what should I do? Who should I be? The right answer will come if I want it. The right answer will come whether or not I want to hear it. God alone can judge my sex sex situation. 
Councils with persons is often desirable, but I let God be the final judge. We, I know we talked about all this yet last week, but uh, I'm going to just finish this page and we'll finish the fourth step. Suppose I fall short of my chosen ideal and I stumble. Does this mean I'm going to get drunk? So I think here he was talking about having sex with other people outside of your committed relationship. Um, but I would say if I fall short of being the man that I'm trying to be today in my relationships, does that mean I'm going to get drunk? Some people think so, but this is only half true. It depends on my, on me and my own motives. If I'm sorry for what I have done and have the honest desire to let God take me to better things, I believe I will be forgiven and will have learned my lesson. I don't know. I don't know about all that. I, I don't really, I don't know about all that. I know that when I lie and I cheat and I act uh, without integrity in my life, by the time I'm in my fourth step, that it harms me. It hurts me. And I am not the kind of person that could cheat and then come home and sit on my couch and pretend like everything's okay. That would kill me. You know what that would do? That would kill me because I would have to drink to live that life. So I'm of the opinion that it would be more healthier and more safe for me and everybody involved if I was thinking of cheating to go in and announce that in advance. Rather than take the risk of cheating and seeing if I can work it out later. <laughs> but that sounds also stupid when I say it out loud. There's no working it out later. It's going to hurt. Everyone's going to get hurt. And there's a very good chance I'm going to drink again if I live like that. So I can't do it. If I'm not sorry and my conduct continues to harm others, we're pretty sure you're going to get drunk. Because of your self-talking mind, not because you're good or bad, but just because your self-talking mind's going to drive you crazy about the stuff you did in alcoholism. That's what that's why we drink. So now you're just throwing fuel on the fire. We're not theorizing. These are the facts of our experience. These are the facts of my experience. When I do things when I steal, it burns a hole in me until I give it back. And it doesn't matter if it's an olive at the olive garden at the, at the, uh, where all the olives are out and they say, you know, put them in the thing, don't stick your hand in it and taste them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that sign is for stupid people, not me. It's the stupid people with dirty fingers. My fingers are clean. I can, I can grab an olive. No one's going to get harmed by that. I'm... I'm not, I'm not a stupid person with dirty fingers. That's keep the dirty finger people out of the olives. Doesn't apply to me. And I, and that's the way I am with everything. No turn on a red light. I don't know. I think that's a sign for stupid people because stupid people will get into accidents because they'll turn at the wrong time on a red light. I'm above average. So I think, and I think I can make this turn during a red light. I'll tell you when it really, when it's really 
crazy is I used to work at a place and, until two o'clock in the morning. And when I would pull out of the parking lot, there would be nobody on the road, almost nobody. And I would pull up to the stop sign and the stop sign said, no left turn. But the freeway is one block away if I go left. And it's four blocks away if I go right. Four blocks. So every single night I pull up to that stop sign and I have a debate. I think I should just go left. It's two o'clock in the morning, for God's sakes. That law only counts when it's busy. And I start talking to myself about it and I decide all by myself in the light of my own situation and my alcoholism, do I go left or do I go right? And then, and then I do it. And when I do it, I pay the price. I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm looking around, I'm sneaking around. And when I go right, it's a non-event. <clears throat> to sum up about sex, I earnestly pray <clears throat> I earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for strength to do the right thing. Hmm. Same thing at a stop sign that says no left turn. It's so this is a way of life. This doesn't this isn't just for sex. <clears throat> if sex is very troublesome, I throw myself harder into helping others. I think of their needs and work for them. This takes me out of myself. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean headache. You know, this is reading this I'm a candidate Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Nicotine Anonymous, Caffeine Anonymous, Sex Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. I, it's all here. I have to practice these principles in all of my affairs. Or I'm going to use some other method to treat my disease. Sex, to get out of my self-talking mind. If I have been thorough about my personal inventory, I have written down a lot. I have listed and analyzed my resentments. I have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. I have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. I have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even my enemies. For I look on them as sick people. I have listed the people I have hurt by my conduct and I'm willing to straighten out the past if I can, and I'm going to look at it again in step eight. In this book, I read again and again that faith did for me what I could not do for myself. I hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you from him, from it. I hope you are convinced now. Not because I say so, but because up until this point, hopefully you've practiced some of this and life has convinced you. We hope you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from it. If I have already made a decision and an inventory of my grosser handicaps, I've made a good beginning. That being so, I have swallowed and digested big chunks of truth about myself. So two things that are interesting. If I'm convinced now, 
at the beginning of page 63, before we started this inventory, it said, the first requirement for, for having this recovery is that I be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And now at the end of the fourth step, it's, it's saying that it hopes that I have become convinced through this process. And it says, that being so, I have swallowed and digested some big truths about myself. And so if I go back to how it works, it says, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to the simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So I come in here incapable of being honest with myself. I start a relationship with a power greater than myself. I do this fourth step. And all of a sudden, I've swallowed and digested some big truths about myself. So I'm becoming better at being willing to completely give myself to this simple program by doing the work. Not in time, not because I didn't drink today, not because I'm becoming a good, a good person, but because I have been practicing these 12 steps as a way of life and I'm becoming rigorously self-honest with myself one little step at a time. So that's the fourth step out of the big book. That's the best way to do the fourth step, in my opinion. I'm 34 years sober. I did this big book awakenings fourth step this way at 23 years of sobriety. And for me, it was the most jaw-dropping, eye-opening, amazing chunks of truth that I saw about myself through this process. And that's why I share it with you. And that's why I'm passionate about it. Because it, 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 it helped me to become more rigorously self-honest. And it helped me to go deeper into my surrender into this program. So... Uh, somebody asked what page it's, it starts on like page 64 in the big book it starts on the, the bottom of page 63 is where the fourth step starts but if you're new and you don't know where the fourth step starts I would encourage you to start with how it works and read all the way through that chapter 5 that's where it is and if you're new I would also encourage you to read page 60 to 63 every single morning when you wake up right remember that uh in the eye, in the first person. Okay, sorry, I talked a very long time today. I'm sorry, I just wanted to finish the fourth step out of the big book. So uh, I'm gonna stop talking now. I apologize, I feel like I beat you all up for 45 minutes. Um, I'm gonna open the meeting up if you'd like to share. You can share. I tape the meeting, we make these meetings available. So it is recorded. If you don't want to be recorded, you need to tell me. Otherwise, it will be recorded and, and your recording will be shared in the, in the idea of helping others to get, have this. Okay, so who's next? Who would like to share? Yes, Shanine. Hello, hi, my name is Shanine, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, so it's like, 
you know, I went through my steps before. Mm -hmm. So it's like I understand, you know, the first, the second and the third step. But where I got lost at is in the fourth step. Mm. So that was a part of my relapsation Mm. is the fourth step. So Mm -hmm. I, um, I understand the first, second and the third, but the fourth one was like mind-boggling absolutely i agree it is mind-boggling and it's a terrible adventure in writing stuff down about myself but it is the most important thing as you've just attested to by not being able to get through the fourth step a lot of people don't make it through the fourth step and a lot of people drink again because of it because I'm not going to completely give myself to this simple program if I'm incapable of being honest with myself. That's just the way it is. It's never going to work out. Honestly, and I just thank God that I was able to come back. Yes, thank God. We're so happy you're here. There's a bunch of recordings that you can get to Uh uh, on how to do the four-step. It's all there if you want to listen to it from the beginning. And also, Randy, I'm looking for a sponsor. Uh, The whole... Well, there are some women on this call that would be awesome sponsors for you. So I would just hang out after the meeting. Okay. Thank you for letting me share. Okay. Thank you, Shane. Okay. Corey. Hi. Hi. How are you? Glad to be here today. Um, Randy, you did talk for a long time. I'm sorry. But I can't think of one word that I would have taken out. Mm. That you said that wasn't meaningful. Mm. So everything you said was um, just right on. God was definitely speaking through you to me. I'm sure others as well. So thank you so much for every single meaningful word you said. And you you share from your experiences, um, which just speak to me so loudly. And I was thinking, um, I I put my phone number as well um, for Shanine in there. Shanine, if you want. Um, but that's one thing that I added about going through it with a sponsor. I think it's insinuated, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, if you're new or if, if you've never been, you don't know. I mean, people um, do read this book on their own um, and go through um, the work, and that is miraculous. But there's a lot more ways that um, experientially I think that it's a such a great opportunity for both people, the sponsor and the sponsee. Mm-hmm. I'm going with a new person through the work right now. And we're just taking time as we read this together line by line to talk about our experiences in these situations. When I was selfish, when I showed up, you know, um, inconsiderate in relationships to understand what it, what it means. And it just, um, enhances i think the experience of going through the four step and teaches you how to do it with somebody else so i love the um, material um from the big book awakenings i'd use that as well um and i think the one thing i was gonna um ask or add the the um trading you know i've heard you say scorekeeper a lot that be another yeah yes. another term for like people pleasing i have one of my sponsors she just keep saying people pleasing. I'm like, Oh, I've corrected her a couple times. I, I don't know. I, I try to keep speaking from my own experience when I say I'm a people pleaser, because yes. that's what I can hear best. So thanks so much. Thanks, Corey. Nice to see you. Anastasia. <clears throat> Hi, everybody. 
Anastasia, uh, addict alcoholic. It's good to hear you today, Randy. And I, I think I was seeing rain outside your window. It's raining. But it's, it's like liquid gold here in California. We're getting a lot of it, but it's really peaceful to see. Um, I uh, worked with a sponsor once. I've had a few, and I'm actually looking for a new one uh, again. Um, 20 years in, I can't say I've made a sport out of like sponsor hopping this whole time, but the road has gotten narrow and there's, um, my needs change, you know, with, uh, with time. So, um, I'm also looking for a sponsor and taking new sponsees. How weird is that? But Hey, (laughs) um, and uh, I had a sponsor once and I went to her with a problem and she's like, well, you know what I like to do? And we don't talk about this outside of sex, but I like to use page 69 and just apply it to all my problems. I was like, really? And I was so happy. I'm like, here's someone they're using the book. And it was one of the most useful things she said to me. And um, it's stuck. And I sometimes share that with other people. I'm like this does really work. Like I let God be the final judge. I avoid hysterical thinking and advice. It's like my own hysterical thinking and advice. That's where it's useful to have a sponsor. And I would really love one because I have too much of my own self-sponsorship system going on in my life. Um, But other people's hysterical thinking and advice and not just about sex. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) watch out because that really fuels my disease. You know, hysterical thinking and advice about sensitive topics that really affect my sense of self and it just so happens that like those more intimate relationships really put fuel on the fire of my character defects and um for me like i'm more of the um not people pleaser type but the people pleaser type you were mentioning that kind of compromises themselves to get a need met it's kind of like how you were describing yourself randy like I want a friend, but I don't want to be a friend. I want you to come to to my event, but I don't want to go to your event. It's like I'm the opposite, and I'm usually trying to form a bond with someone like your old character and then doing all these compromising Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. to do it, and then I'm resentful, just Mm -hmm. like you said. So those are totally like um, Mm -hmm. valuable personality types to be aware of so we apply the right solution, Mm -hmm. you know, like because for my personality type, I want to be more compassionate towards myself you know, to like listen to myself more, um, to give myself more understanding, um, to maybe think of others a little bit less. But if I were to say that a sponsee that came to me with your list, it's like, well, come on. (laughs) So it's, it's good to know, um, through the first part of the four step, what my character is. So I'm applying, you know, the, uh, the right tools. And I just love that you went over both. And, um, yeah, what am I having hysterical thinking and advice about in my mind? Like we're talking about intimate relationships, but um, it, it really uh, is fun, simple to apply that page to a lot of other things. Thanks. Who's next? Who's next? <clears throat> Bia. Yep. Hey, Randy. Hi, everybody. Happy rainy Saturday here in L.A. Like you said, we need it. Mm -hmm. Um, Gosh, you gave me so much to think about today. Mm. And what happens is I think of all the things that I do wrong. Mm. And even though, I mean, I am forever grateful to Phyllis for turning me on to this meeting. 
I have grown so much that um, I, I had 36 years, 35 years of recovery. And um, I, I, I came here during COVID or, be, you know, right when COVID started. And in these few years, I, like you said, I have learned so much more from this meeting and Wednesdays um, than I did my whole time. And a couple of things. I mean, Wednesday, I wasn't able to meditate. When I got on the meeting, everyone was saying how great the meditation was. <laughs> so today, you know, I missed it. So today I said, okay, I'm going to really focus. I'm going to be here. You know, my mind went off in so many silly things. You, you mentioned cars. Oh, I went off on a whole thing about my car. Um, but, you know, I kept coming back. I kept coming back to this place. Mm -hmm. Then you mentioned people-pleasing. You know, I've been a people-pleaser since I was a little kid. You know, I remember an experience. I was standing on a chair, making my first, getting ready for my first Holy Communion. And I was sick. And my aunt, who I lived with, was saying, you are going to make it come hell or high water. We put too much work into this. And then my mother came, and they were prodding me and doing my hair. And it was like I wanted to scream, leave me alone. But I put a smile on. I was very complacent. But that set up, I mean, I look back at my um, childhood and my mom. I, You know, like that's ingrained in us. There's certain things that... God, I've just gotten to be aware of. And they're so ingrained in my upbringing. And, you know, I hear myself like my mother. But, of course, she raised me. So, you know, but people-pleasing, I, I mean, for example, like I had someone come. I was trying to teach them how to, to work for me. So they came for the first day yesterday. But it's a sponsor sister. I love her. She was very good to me when I was sick. But the thing is, she didn't, do, she didn't get anything accomplished. So I realize I have to teach her too much. So she's not the right person. But I feel bad. I mean, like, she said, oh, I'll see you next week. And, and I didn't know. You know, like, I put her feeling ahead of mine. And I think that's people-pleasing, but maybe I'm wrong. Like, am I expecting something from her? Only to do a good job. That's what I expect from her. But, um, you know, this is constantly a challenge. I used to say struggle, but it's not struggling. and It's a challenge. And you've made me become very aware, very mm. um, in tune to who I am and my alcoholism. And with that, I just want to say I've got 78 days today. Thanks, everybody. You broke up there for a second. How many days? 78. Fantastic. Congratulations, Bia. You are Thank awesome. Thank you. Sybil. Hi, Sybil uh, Alcoholic. Um, great to be on. Um, yeah, so um, I had had like um some like obsession in my head, <laughs> like um that I can't like be rid of, and I just been turning it over and turning it over and turning it over, turning it over, 
And I just wanted to know if, um, I mean, I just keep feeling like, yeah, I'm like mentally ill and I'm tired of it. And I'm trying to turn things over and it's not working. Um, I notice when I'm tired, that's like definitely when it's like this. Um, but it's gotten to the point where like, it's like, I just have this sort of like resentment or, um, kind of compare and despair and it's stuck and I can't, it's like, it cannot be released and I want to enjoy my life. And I know that sometimes we, we do questions here. So, um, maybe you have some ideas except just keep turning it over. I have an idea about that. I have an idea about turning it over. We don't, uh, uh, okay. We, I have never turned anything over to God. I don't turn my wife over to God and my car over to God and my house over to God. I turn my attention to God. I put my attention on God and I ask God, what can I do for you? I don't turn over stuff. That's me trying to get God to fix something so that I don't have to think about it anymore. And what I'm really saying is, God, you got this wrong and I can't be pleased until you fix it. That's not turning it over. That's pretending like if this gets worked out, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. I'll turn this over to God so long as it goes my way. I don't say it like that. I say, God, you can do this however you want, but I'm not going to stop thinking about it unless it goes my way. And that's not turning it over. That there's no, We don't turn anything over to God. It's already God's. <laughs> What am I going to turn over to it? And I, I hear that all the time. Oh, I just turned it over. No, you didn't. No. What I do is I turn my attention to God. And I ask God what I could do for it. Not try to get God to fix what it is that's driving me crazy so I don't have to think about it anymore. Because that's still me trying to get what I want by using a thing called prayer. If I don't have the spirit of complete defeat, I'm going to have to turn this over. If I'm in a complete defeat that this is the way it's supposed to be, there's nothing to turn over. What am I going to turn over? That's already turned over. All I'm doing now is putting my attention on God. God, could you help me? So I hope that that's helpful. And we'll talk about that over and over and over again, because that's the whole thing. If I could turn something over, I wouldn't need God's help. I'd just turn it over. Dennis. Hi, Dennis. Hi. Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis. I'm an alcoholic. Um, Brandy, thank you. Um, what do they say? There's no coincidences. Mm -hmm. uh, some people say. Sometimes I say that. Um, so it's no coincidence um, that I don't regularly, because of the time zone differences for me, I don't regularly attend this meeting, but the... Um, I think it was last week or the week before and this week I was able to attend it and it's basically exactly what, what I needed. Um, yeah, I am mentally ill. I, I am mentally ill. Uh, you know, and, um, and I say that laughing, um, because that's all I can do is once I identify 
the the ism for for whatever it is and and i like what you what you always say alcoholism is a is a is an odd name for what i have you know because it's just the the solution until it, it it doesn't work anymore you know so you know um I, I often say when people say, "Oh, so you're you're sober X amount of years," so like you still have to go to meetings. I'm like, no, I I, I don't self go to. I choose to go because drunk or sober, it's not about physical sobriety. It's about my mind and what it tells me and <laughs> what I can say. You know, so it's that it's that whole thing. And so I, I always appreciate hearing you you talk about that. And and you're you're mentioning it. It's so true. And I know we talked a little bit. I think it was um, a couple of days ago, but uh, yeah. When I get this, when I get here, when I achieve this in my job, when I get this number, and yeah, and, and now I got it, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, maybe it was better before. So, you know, in in alcoholism, I cannot win. <laughs> get the girl, don't get the girl. <laughs> you know, I, I want a, a more responsibility. Actually, you know what? Having less responsibility was better. I just com- will completely be dissatisfied, you know, and I have to laugh at that insanity um but what i what i what i want to really just quickly very quickly because i think we're yeah, about we're at time uh, is you know i uh i had an opportunity which is interesting um to meet up with um my ex we haven't seen each other in probably about 18 years and she, I was in this relationship at my lowest bottom and then for the first six months of my sobriety. So yeah, it was toxic. It was this, it was that yet also instrumental, uh, even her being, you know, instrumental. Her father was my Eskimo to get me in. It was the right moment, you know, all this stuff. So there's a lot of pain, you know, from that, but then also, also a big springboard into, my life of, of, of recovery today. Mm. And, um, we reconnected because she, she got cancer and, and saw something about that and thought it would be a good idea to get, get together. So it was very interesting. Mm. We had dinner the other night and I had no expectations. And I mm. looked through, uh, what was posted from big book awakenings. And I look, and I looked, <laughs> I looked through this worksheet and in a way, almost, in, in kind of a in, in kind of a step nine, almost went through this worksheet verbally over the course of a few hours during dinner, mm. you know. And it was really amazing in hindsight after seeing this. Sorry. Um, you know, of course, things that I think were real were not. You know, things that I completely forgot that I did do or said. You know, so my mind is yeah. selective. You know. Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. So. We're way it's over. All good. We got to yeah, stop. Okay. I'll talk to you yeah. offline. I want to hear more about it for sure. Sorry, it's we're a little we're way over. Um, um, I'm going to stay on for another five or six minutes after the meeting. If you want to share some more, and you can, and if you want to ask a question, you can. And uh, we're going to meet again on Wednesday, and then again on Saturday. And I appreciate you all so much. And we'll take a moment of silent meditation, and then. We'll do the serenity prayer together. Okay, you can all unmute yourself if you like. And we'll do the serenity prayer. God. God. 
Grant, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Amen. Keep it coming back. See, I'm going to call you. See you Bye. all. Good. You are. Good. Great meeting. Thank you. Have a great day. It was great to see Thanks, you Thanks, Randy. Have a wonderful Have weekend, a everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Thank, Thank you, everybody. Bye. Good to see you. Love the turning it over thing. That was really cool. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that was. I needed to hear that today, too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> That's like the so easy to forget. Like it's just effortless to forget that that it's not about like God make me not be crazy right now. It sounds good. It sounds like authentic, but when you put it that way, it's like oh yeah, actually it, it kind of isn't. That's different than asking God what I can do. Right. Which might it reminded me of the golden key from Emmett Fox. You know, it's kind of golden key is like, okay, you have a problem? Right. Think, think about God, you know? Exactly. Yeah, like the principle of this, think of the solution will come. Uh-huh. That, that was great. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Everybody got everything they need today? Yes, I did. Thank you, Anastasia, for putting your um, information in the chat. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, sure. You're welcome to be in touch with my entertaining, crazy, yet warm-hearted self. Uh, That's that's cool. Thanks, everybody. That sounds like fun. All right. I'll talk to you. See you soon. Dennis, I'm going to... We can talk on the phone. All right, I'm going to end this and we'll talk on the phone. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. Merman. Yes. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you. I hope that that was helpful for you. Yes, very helpful. I really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs> <Are we laughs>